This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So the only thing left to say is, you win. Order now on the McDonald's app. You can also get reward points delivered too. So the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Back of the Nest. Match Review Podcast. www.backofthenest.com Hello and welcome to the Back of the Nest Review Show. I am Chris Hambling and I'm your host as we look back at a scrappy 0-0 draw with annoying Wasp-based imbeciles Watford. Plenty to discuss and we'll be looking back at the game and reviewing some of your comments and questions too. I'll introduce you to the panel in just a moment. Reviews, predictions, comments and rants. Send us your voice clips on WhatsApp 0203 575 1266. Right, on the panel tonight we have, first up, Cy Pizzi. Hello, Cy. Hello, how are you doing? You all right? I'm marvellous, absolutely marvellous. Been a while. Um, what have you been up to? Just running mainly, running. I've been doing a lot of running. I'm training for an ultramarathon now next year. So double ultramarathons, so that's two That's two 35-mile runs over two days. So I'm just doing lots of running, which is good, which is cool. And that seems insane um but you know hey it's it's uh, you know if, if you're interested in that sort of thing. I, still, I still think it'll be easier than what we did on the marathon walk that was yeah incredibly difficult uh genuinely the hardest thing i've done actually so yeah, which is weird isn't it because i don't think i mean i definitely can't couldn't envisage trying to run a marathon or let alone an ultra marathon let alone two ultra marathons but um but there you go I suppose mind over matter and all that, but I would definitely drop down dead. Uh, talking to people who drop down dead uh, doing running a marathon. Hi, Chris. How you doing? I'm not contemplating a super marathon. Um, yeah, no, I'm, I'm all right. I've recovered. Oh, you've called it. A, you've called it a super marathon. There is that different to an ultra marathon? Let's check with Sai. Sai, is there a such a thing as a super marathon? Not as yet, but I think Chris has just created it, so you should definitely sort of trademark that. Right, Chris, let's work it out. If it's a half marathon. Well, well yeah. that's not su- that's the opposite of super, isn't it? Let's kind of get the, let's get this nailed yeah. down. What what constitutes a super marathon? What additional things to um to running the relevant distance could there be? Drink beer while you're doing it. There you go. That is enough. That's all we need. So, yeah. A can in each hand, <laughs> do you think, or perhaps one of those hats that allows you to drink uh cans through a straw? 
Oh yeah, the ones with the straw. I think that I think the straw should be allowed. All right, good, good. Well, that is now officially trademarked um, on this podcast, and uh, we'll be sorting one of those out soon. Join us for it, Mike. How you doing? Well, I did a super marathon yesterday between the shithole that's Vicarage Road and the shithole that's Watford Junction. Um, so <laughs> yeah, did that with a couple of cans in hands. Been there, done it. Got a t-shirt, mate. I did think um, that you know you and you and Clarkey going to that that the the general area around Watford around Vicarage Road would be somewhat uh, devoid of cans by the time you two had finished. But um, well, you, you, you need it around there. I mean, if anyone's teetotal around there, kill themselves. <laughs> well. I think that general theme about bad mouth in Watford will continue throughout the course of the show. Obviously, there wasn't a huge amount to talk about in terms of action in the match itself. A really scrappy game, really um, got a bit bit feisty at times, but there was very little quality on show from either side, if we're completely honest. Statistically, Watford did a lot more going forward than we did, and we'll be talking about the reasons for that. Um, this week, uh, I'm afraid no WhatsApp clips uh, due to poor organisation our end. Um, however, we have got plenty of contact from Facebook and from Twitter as well. Uh, if you're not on any of those, do remember you can email us, hi at blackofthenest.com. And of course, if in future weeks, if you want to give us a WhatsApp audio message, it's 0203 575 1266. And our regular weekly beg for you to, um, whatever podcast app you happen to be using and listening to us on, please use the facility on there to rate us. Rate us as highly as possible, preferably five stars. Um, and that allows us to well allows you to direct other people our way and grow our audience, which is obviously what we want to do and why we do this kind of thing. So anyway, um, we'll get straight into this. No, no, not really sure exactly how long this <laughs> show is going to be, um, given the um, you know the limited amount we have to talk about. But there are a few things that have got people worked up, um, myself definitely included. So the first topic we just want to talk about: what the hell is wrong with Watford? What is what is their problem? And to kind of start it off in terms of the tone, we got a tweet from uh, Leif Anderson's Forehead, which is obviously a magnificent name on Twitter. Um, and it says, horrible club Watford on and off the pitch. Uh, to top it off, there was no beer in the away end. And for that alone, they deserve relegation. And I think probably, Mike, I'm going to bring you straight in there. No no beer? Yeah, I think Watford have got a serious problem with Palace. Um, as far as I know... Um, it's just us, uh, possibly one other side, that they don't put beer in their way end for. Um, so, you know, it, it shows, even if most of us don't really have a second thought about Watford, um, they really do hate us. Um, and I, it annoyed people it's... in there yesterday, but um, because we'd been sitting around in Watford, um everyone had already been drinking because that's a deal with the fact that they're in Watford so I mean even Brighton give us beer when we go and play there and they give us good beer as well I mean to be fair they don't give it to us they sell it to us but they it, they make beer available and Watford don't the fact they don't as I mean I, I think that tweet is absolutely bang on gold standard um so yeah well said um Leif Anderson's forehead um for that um they should be relegated. I really look forward to that happening. I so hope it does. I love it. I love it if we relegate them. There, there were the, the vindictiveness of not serving beer um, was just a reflection of the vindictiveness on the pitch, the vindictiveness of the fans, the whole thing. 
vindictive is the word. Absolutely right. Sai, as a general point, we know how, how do you view Watford? I just absolutely hate them. I mean, I, you know, I was thinking about this, and I think someone put, a, I think I, we put a tweet out or a Facebook post saying, actually, you know, the, Watford are becoming a much more stronger rivalry for us than, than in many ways Brighton have been over many years. And, I, and actually, when I think of Brighton, I just, you know, other than pity, I don't genuinely feel sort of hatred. But Watford, I just, ever since that annoying playoff semi final with A.D. Boothroyd and those only one time we used clappers at Sellers Park, it was just, I've, I've hated them ever since. That vile. And I can't think of enough stronger words, really. Just just absolutely hate them. It's amazing that they, they change managers so often, yet the identity of that team doesn't seem to alter at all. Um, and it's, it's, you know, obviously, I'm talking about on the pitch. And off the pitch, their fans just have a real chip on their shoulder when it comes to Palace. But, you know, on the flip side, I, I know uh, a, a Watford fan, I work with him, and he was talking about the fact that they just never get to play their proper rivals, which is Luton. Won't be uh won't be for much longer. I'm sure they'll be playing them very very soon. But um, he made the point that you know he's got a um I think his daughter's about 24 25 and she's never seen them play Luton yet still hates Luton. So they have their own sort of identity issues there. And I suppose you know going back to the time when we didn't play Brighton for a while, you know people really did focus on the the Millwall rivalry and and you know Charlton pop their head up and all that kind of stuff. But I think what really sums them up a little bit. Um, is the is the real the abuse that Zaha gets and you know Chris Mike you you were there and you would have heard it firsthand but it was loud and clear um, those of us watching at home and I think one thing that was really picked up very very early on was they have, they never back their own team with that level of commitment and that level of ferocity and if they did they'd actually have a really good atmosphere there at Vicarage Road I mean obviously it'd be very hard to raise your spirits when you when you do support Watford but it shows they've got it in them and if you've got a whole stand that's actually united in hatred against one individual for what is basically no reason he's never dived against them you know I, I, I've tried to talk to the, the guy I know and find out why they hate him and it, you know and he, he just can't really point to a specific incident with any real justification obviously they go back to the playoff final where Wilfred Zaha won the penalty but no logical person looking at that could say anything other than it was a clear foul because it was a clear foul so it's a it's a really bizarre situation they hate him that much and they really want to get to him and it's not as we say it's not just the fans show that you know everybody on that pitch was taking turns and kicking him and giving him a real hard time and it was just awful to watch it was a very weird atmosphere um almost almost silent at times other than the away fans um and it ramped up a bit towards the end i mean in fairness to them, they probably had very, very little to cheer about. Um, think of us last year when, with our home performances. It's not surprising that things went a bit quieter. Um, you know, they were very happy to get a point yesterday. And there was plenty of mouthy tweets afterwards from, from Watford fans, including a, a couple of famous ones, you know, saying, oh, Kiko's got Zaha in his pocket and all that kind of thing. Well, you know, you're really feeding off scraps if a nil-nil draw is something to, to be uh, posting that kind of thing about. Um, but it was dead silent un- until this kind of vitriolic thing came through. Um, but it, it could be just because they literally have nothing else, you know, nothing positive to to go on, really. But he would, you know, and they and the ironic thing is, if, if, he, if he was for some turn of events to end up playing for them, 
he'd walk into that team and they'd love him. So it is pretty petty. But there was loads of them found on Twitter saying that Delefeu is ten times better player than Zaharis. And I just I was so tempted to start replying and sort of just randomly attacking loads of Watford fans, but I held myself back. I mean, they are I mean, genuinely their hate their hatred for Wilfred is just it's just beyond beyond understandable really because it can't just be about that penalty I, I think gen, I think genuinely it's because we can't only thing they've, they've got nowhere near decent players in comparison to him and their team and it probably is a bit of jealousy I think well definitely and you can say that you know a lot of the the better players in the league will, will get that kind of treatment and it very rarely works out well no we, we dish out that kind of treatment to to other clubs um better players at times as well you know the, the Vardy thing in recent memory Springs to mind, but it, you know, with with Watford, it's um, it's just weird. I mean, Delafeo is a good player, you know, and, and I think you know, I, I love him at our club. I think he's, he is that good at times, but he's so inconsistent. You could never really look at him and say that he's a better performer than than Wilfred Zaha. But you know, you look at go back a while. I remember when Brighton were talking about how Will Buckley was better than Zaha. You know, remember Will Buckley? And it's that kind of thing. You do get that level of bias with with. You know the players who play for the club you support and all that kind of stuff, but it's nonsensical. Um, Andy Andy Hode got in touch. Great Twitter handle there, Andy. Andy the Twat, nineteen ninety two. Superb stuff. And he's pointed out the fact that Watford's only game plan is to rattle Wilf and not actually attempt to play football. Um, was kind of the <laughs> a good way of summing it up. But you know, I think that that level of focus in a game and it did it did ruin the game in a lot of ways. That you know, obviously it's a sensible thing to do from their perspective to actually try and rattle our best player. And we did try and play as much as we could through Wilf. And you, you understand that because he's been in good form, uh, particularly over the last few games. So absolutely understandable, but it's, it's particularly nasty. And I'm not going to moan about it and talk about it being unfair or anything like that. It's, it's part of the game and you don't want to end up, you know, just coming across as a complete whinger like Troy Deeney, for example, um, after the match, but you know, definitely disappointing. It does bring up something for me uh, that worries me a little bit. Um, is it seems like over the last couple of years we've we've probably dating back to that that Huddersfield opening game defeat in the the De Boer era, we still haven't quite managed to um, see away teams that just decide they're gonna go with shithousery for ninety minutes. And the, the worry is, you know, Brighton Monday Monday week. Um, they're going to do exactly the same thing. And I wonder if, if we, we still haven't learned our lesson for just dealing with these less decent sides that think that they're just going to kick the shit out of everyone. Well, it's a really good point. And, you know, not going too far ahead or doing the preview team's job for them, um, which is, I think, you this week, <laughs> Mike. But obviously, we've seen under under Roy that the games where we've played Brighton, we've not been really at it. And you have to be absolutely at it from the first minute. Um we can be very passive and we do like to start games just trying to get a measure of our opposition, trying to restrict their chances, stop them playing a little bit and kind of work our way into the game. Um, and we'll talk about the reasons why perhaps that didn't we didn't manage to work our way into this particular game um, a little bit later on. But yeah, I, I, I totally get where you're coming from, Mike. It, it, it's, it's you know already something in the back of my mind. But um, yeah, fingers crossed a little bit more rest between games and, and we'll give a good account of ourselves, I hope. So, I mean, obviously, one of the other things we saw from Watford, and again, this this seems to go beyond whoever happens to be the manager. It was, obviously, it was ex-Palace player Hayden Mullins uh, in this particular game with the psychotic Nigel Pearson w- watching on in the background. And 
they were just constantly in Martin Atkinson's ear. And we will talk about Martin Atkinson in just a moment, um, you know, in our next kind of topic. But that, I mean, that started to get to me as well, because you, you want a referee to be strong in those situations, but he really wasn't. And one of the people, as expected, who did the most of that was Troy Deeney. Um, absolutely horrible, horrible player. And I don't even know if I'd love him in our side. A lot, you know, as we sort of said with Wilf, as Cy was saying earlier on, you know, maybe he's the type of player that if he's playing for you with that level of commitment, that you'd, you'd love him. But I really just don't see how he's allowed to sort of stroll around the pitch like he's like he's some top footballer when he he's just there's not really much to him, is there? You know, he gets aggressive, he pushes people about, he moans, he whinges, he falls to, falls to the ground a lot, and it's just. You know, he's allowed to get away with it. And then he comes on TV afterwards and says that, you know, he should have got a penalty. And you can say, okay, Cahill's got his arm around him, definitely. But, you know, if you give those every week, you give him four or five penalties. And, you know, Wilf would have got one for, for the Cabaselle challenge on him uh, up the other end of the pitch as well. Um, so, I mean, I think probably Watford are a better team with him in it, but it just goes to show you what their what their attitude is. Um in terms of how they go about getting points, which they haven't really got many of this season. Um, just interested at the game, um, Chris, Mike, um, how much Deeney wound you guys up in the crowd? I'll start with you, Chris, if you can. Oh, he always winds us up. And yeah, he, I mean, it was just a complete 90-minute display of shithousery from him. And as you say, you could see him talking um, to the ref all the time. Um, he's a nasty physical lump and... You know, I mean, let's not forget that you know this is a man who, in 2012, went to prison for kicking someone in the head in the street. You know, the guy is an absolute thug. He's, I mean, I I can understand why people who are Watford supporters might enjoy having someone like that. I mean, if that's literally the best thing about your town, that's a really dark place to be. But you know, hey ho, yeah, we we were um, abusing him from start to finish because yeah, he's a shit house. I don't think he had the impact actually yesterday. Um, in the game that he's had in, in, in previous games against Palace, actually. But then um, nobody really got their teeth into it and, and made their mark. Uh, you're totally right on the penalty. Um, but again, they had so little to cling to, same as us, that um, it probably was the talking point after the game because there's nothing else really for him to say. Yeah, absolutely right. I mean, that takes us... No, go on, Si. No, I was just going to say... I, I, I... Genuinely, was watching him on Saturday. He, 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 yeah, as Mike said, he wasn't in the game. And I, I don't. I wouldn't want him at the club either. Not not for all the off the field stuff. I genuinely don't think he's that good. And also, and I also think he promotes. He, he is part of the problem with Watford only playing in a shithousery kind of way because I think that's all he can do. And I think there's something in the fact that it's a bit like you have, if you have Ben Teki from the start, you tend to hoof it long rather than play play it around is, is the kind of the, the accusation. But yeah, he's awful. I, I wouldn't want him in the club. I'm genuinely, I don't think he's prem standard, to be honest. Definitely right. and Well, certainly not anymore. I would um, take this opportunity now um, to say to producer Sam, I think you're going to have to leave all the constant references to shithousery unbleaked. Otherwise, you're going to be spending six or seven hours editing this podcast. And I'm about to do it again. So we um, put a tweet out, sorry, a tweet, uh, a message out on Facebook um, earlier on. Uh, today, the day of recording, and um, just asking people what they felt about the um, a, a sort of burgeoning rivalry with Watford. Um, we've talked about the fact that, obviously, you know, being playing in the same division as Brighton on a more regular basis has really kept that one burning. Um, and recent performances haven't been great in that. But 
you know, it, let, let's talk about sort of teams in, in recent years that have really sort of pushed that. And, you know, the, the responses seem to be that Watford are the ones that are doing that. Um, Tim Humphrey said that it's not historical as such, but it did, you know, something sort of started really back at the, the playoff final. I know, Sai, you said it was earlier on with the, the playoff semi as well. But, you know, that was where it started for Tim. Um, Phil Bella said that he obviously absolutely hates Brighton, but lately he's just despises uh, Watford and that they're more more suited for rugby. Um, Chris Chantry sort of adding to that, saying that there's shit housing and then there's Watford, and how much he would have enjoyed a, a late winner similar to the Bournemouth game, and just how much sweeter that would have been. Um, he also mentions that having lived there for a bit too, it feels much more personal compared to Brighton and Millwall, um, and obviously Millwall not being anywhere near in, in the same league anymore. Uh, Susan Tucker's gone the other way and said they're not worth the effort or tribute of being called a rival and hopefully next season they'll have Luton to bother which I think is a sentiment that I share um, as well but um, Daniel Green this makes me feel old um, saying that Brighton was the team his dad hated but and he'll never like them but what for the team that he loathes Um, so incredible really Um, and I think probably Jonathan Cook summing, summing up another thought of mine where he says it look they're forcing this rivalry, it's not us. It's a bit that bit like Southampton for him, going back to when uh, Higginbottom scored in injury time and their fans were giving it outside the ground, which basically relegated us. Um so there you go. Lots of um lots of comment on that. Plenty more as well. Uh, Robert Sayers loathes them. Michael Curran hates Bournemouth. Dean Williams despises Bristol City with you there, Dean. Uh Terry Lamport was gonna say Charlton, but haven't they haven't been relevant for years. <laughs> Um, Phillips Von David, spectacular name, says uh, Man United and Newcastle. Uh, Richard Evans has gone with Man United. So, interesting range there. And it does just show you that, you know, rivalries do sort of chop and change. But I think, you know, Brighton, Millwall, and then anything you like really can go in there as well. On a week to week basis, though, um, I think the teams that have established themselves as the sort of. Um, slightly above the relegation zone Premier League teams for the past few years are the ones that you naturally gravitate towards having an issue with. So that would be why, you know, Bournemouth is, is a team that tends to wind people up because you naturally, on the seasons where you see them finish above us or, or you know, get points on weekends when we don't, you just think, well, how have they done it? You know, they, 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 they've they been in the Premier League probably less time than us. How, you know, how are they spending this money on, on, on players? when we're not. And I think to an extent that's happened with Watford recently as well. So it's the fact that, um, you know, it's been up and down as to who's doing better. Um, it's one of the reasons why there's constant issues between the fans. And part of that, you know, I will say this, that's kind of what you want. <laughs> it adds that extra element. I, I you know, I Yeah, to, absolutely. Uh, you know, I love the, the fact that we hate Bristol City, they're miles away. We just happens to be because we have to, have to play them a lot. There was a period of time where I had an extreme hatred of Preston just because of the fact we kept playing them all the time and not really playing very well against them. So I, I like that element to it. You know, you always have your, your proper t- traditional rivals and you should never lose that. But, you know, you should also respond to how to how things happen, you know, to events and to, to any situation like this where, you know, Watford have a complete irrational hatred of Wilfred Zaha, who is, you know, an absolute legend at Palace and, we feel very protective of you know, in a way that's enough to, to generate a proper rivalry um, unfortunately for them they'll have to they'll have to leave it once they go down anyway so let's move on let's talk a bit more specifically about Martin Atkinson and we've got to talk about what in, despite the fact that there were a couple of chances in the game to discuss the major incident for me was the booking of Wilfred Zaha for being fouled 
There's no other way of saying it. You know, he was he was fouled and the referee didn't see the incident, however, has reacted by booking Wilfred Zaha. What's wrong with him? I mean, what on earth? How, how do you even justify that? I mean, this is the same ref, isn't it? That, that without even having a second to think, booked Zaha for a dive in the Arsenal game where I was was fortunately or unfortunately there from perspective. It was it was instantaneous, and how, you know I'm not one for conspiracy theorists, but how, how how can how can you how can you think of anything other than him literally have hating Wilf after seeing that decision of the weekend and then the previous one before? You know he didn't give him any protection really throughout the game, and you know he he was almost like he felt really bad every time he gave a free kick for Wilf. It's like he like he just didn't want to do it. It was like really painful for him. Uh, genuinely, I genuinely think he literally hates him. There has to be there has to be some sort of agenda, something personal. It really does for him to. Well, I say that uh, you don't know what he's thinking. There's something wrong there in whatever it is. Um, but you know, you um, we get stats from Euref um, on a weekly basis, both before and after the game that we do stick out on Twitter. And he's they rated him pre-game as the third worst referee in the Premier League on getting big decisions right. And Mike, you know, if he was a player, he'd be benched or, or stuck in the, the reserves or whatever or, or sold to a lower league team because, you know, his performances are absolutely terrible on a consistent basis. Well, there's times when you must clearly know as a referee that you've made a mistake because the the crowd's not just on you in that usual way, but they're on you in a way that can tell you instantly you've made the wrong decision. And he had that plenty of times throughout the game. Um, g- genuinely annoyed with him. Um, and I think what frustrates people more now that you've got VAR is that, um, you know, a decision like that is outside the remit of something that could very easily overturn it because um, it's not a red. Um, so, so nothing's going to get done about it. So he's, he's he can safely make those yellow card decisions knowing that, um, nothing's ever going to happen. Maybe it'll be mentioned in the rest report. Probably not. Um, so he's totally above the law and he can do that kind of thing. And it, it's very frustrating. Incredibly so. I mean, you make a good point there and I'll bring you in on this, Chris, if, if, if I may. You know, when we talk about VR, we talk about the future for it and, and how best to use it. Is there perhaps a role it could play uh, potentially exposing these kind of clear refereeing errors? You know, if we're not just talking, you know, even if they're not a goal or a, or a red card. Do you, as as a fan, do you advocate that, or is it just asking for trouble? Right, <clears throat> this is complicated, but I'll give you. So my answer is yes, of course I advocate it because I get so angry with so many of these wrong decisions. Do I also sympathise with the position that Nick of this parish would take, which is oh, it's already ruining the game as it is. Um, I've got some sympathy with the delays and so on, and the um, destruction of the spontaneity of celebrating certain things. But I think that justice is the most important thing in all of this. And you can see that justice wasn't served by Martin Atkinson on this occasion and rarely is, frankly. Um, One, the guy should be drummed out of the game. And secondly, when people aren't competent on a regular basis, they should be simply removed or suspended or whatever it is. They should also be subject to a review and, and an immediate review, not something that means they get dropped to the championship for the next game. We've already suffered that um, if they've sent someone off or booked someone and it's you know led to suspensions later on. So, yes, we need an immediate review of decisions where they're obviously wrong, like that was this weekend. 
with for me i don't think you even need to stop the game for something like that i think if you've got someone sitting in a, in a var studio who can look at that and go oh my god martin you've 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 had a nightmare there mate just you know say say into his ear oh, by the way mate you've put wilfred zaha there actually he was fouled don't go back and give the foul or anything but next time there's a break in play go and go and do the the action of crossing off the yellow card apologize to the player and say you saw it differently but you've just been advised it wasn't uh, wasn't a yellow card challenge deal with it in a break of play you know 10 seconds whatever it takes and then it's over and done with and that's where you to me you'd start to get you know a positive attitude from people towards will uh, towards VAR because you haven't lost any time in the game you know barring a, a natural break in play you know, it stops people getting wound up. It stops a situation where Wilf picks up another yellow and gets sent off, and it's completely unjust and it completely affects the game. But it's already affected the game as well because Wilf has to watch himself after that, and he can't, you know, play a, a, a full pelt really. You know, or take it, do make any challenge that potentially risks a yellow. So really, it does have an effect on us and completely unjustly. So that's what I'd like to see personally. I think your idea of doing the immediate review in the background and reporting back and getting it sorted later on in a kind of 10-second thing is absolutely the right thing. It's absolute common sense. And for that reason, it's very unlikely to find favour with the footballing authorities in this country. But (laughs) I hope they listen to you. I hope, you know, I mean, if if you're listening, FA, um, then, you know, listen to Hambo because he's got this wrong right. Exactly right. I think I should take charge of VAR. There we go. So look, basically, let's talk about um, Atkinson as, as a whole. Really, do we feel that that there was a consistency in his terrible refereeing? Obviously, we've all said that we feel that there was a bias against Wilfred Zaha in particular. He seemed to have an agenda, shall we say? But was he was he bad for both sides? Did you get that feeling in the ground, Mike? Yes, I I, I think um, he towards the end. Um, made some decisions that clearly upset the uh, the Watford fans. Um, I, I think justifiably they they were quite annoyed. Um, so I, I'd say for the first sort of sixty minutes, seventy minutes, um, he made some poor decisions for us. And then towards the end, when Watford perhaps were pushing a little bit more, um, the home fans definitely felt hard done by. So I, th- I think it evened out. Um, but that's not to say that it's acceptable because it, it absolutely wasn't. Um, and I, I honestly don't know, you know, I always here on Five Live or whatever, issues with referees, people keep discussing it. I don't see a way that it's going to be solved. I, I just don't. Um, I could see the VAR issues being solved to an extent by, you know, referees not being part of it and it being a totally separate uh, panel that deal with it so that they don't back their mates up. Um, but the majority of his poor decision-making was nothing involving penalties or, or, or goals or anything like that. So don't really know um, what else we can do but moan. Yeah, I think it was poor for both teams, to be honest. One thing I'd be interested in and in getting the listeners' feedback on is, you know, God forbid if, if Zaha does ever go anywhere, would he be the same if he played for a bigger team? Because I think part of the issue is who we are as well. And I, I genuinely think half of the half of the battle is who we are and a lot of bigger clubs don't get that same level of attention from referees. They get a lot of benefit of the doubt. So I think he was pretty crap for both teams. And I also think uh, it is sort of made way worse by who we are. I, I'm not sure I buy, I buy this um, this narrative that, um, you know, he's, he's anti-Zahar or, or anti a particular team or player. 
Um, what it strikes me is that you've got a player of immense skill and immense speed um, that's doing things at such a speed that the referee just is not capable of understanding what's just happened. So it might look like Zahar, um, you know, there's an agenda against him, but I think it's genuinely lack of understanding about what's just happened in front of the referee's eyes. And that's that's worrying. I don't. I really don't think it's an agenda against any particular club or, or size of club or anything like that. Well, I, I, I sort of understand what you're saying, but I would say, you know, take Atkinson's refereeing performance as an example. You know, where he made the error earlier in the season, booking Wilford diving, that, to me, that comes from preconceptions. And that comes from talking about a player's reputation and whether or not that gets directly talked about in refereeing circles or not. Oh, you know, you've got to watch Zaha or, you know, go back. There wasn't a few, it was a few years ago when Bale was playing for Spurs and was getting booked almost every week for diving, whether he was fouled or not. And unfortunately, once someone gets a reputation, it's very, very hard for human beings to kind of ignore that. And, you know, referees seem to be human beings. So I think perhaps that has an impact as well. Um, you know, go back to when, AJ was winning penalties through quick feet and anticipating challenges, should we call it? Um, and I think it was Steve Bruce who called it out openly on uh, on a post in a post match interview, and you you saw a complete sea change that one week. And I think that's really the concern for me because referees being professionals now, they have got to work incredibly hard to just referee the incidents as they see them, not to have those preconceptions, not for, to be influenced by big teams with big name managers and not to be influenced by players with reputations. Just look at the incident, judge it accordingly. And I go back to the point I was making. That to me is where, you know, VAR can actually have a proper impact, not slow the game down, just have someone just reviewing those things and just having a word in the referee's ear and putting a few things right here and there. And I think people will get behind that once they see those things happening. And that's what we want. That's that's how you make the game better. You don't make the game better by turning it into this, you know, stop stop start spectacle and and having, as you say, Mike, you know, people sitting in a studio who are, who are refusing to overrule their mates or whatever or, or create controversy. And I'm, and I'm absolutely certain that's been a directive on, on VAR is to avoid controversy as much as humanly possible. And it's funny you see it almost week by week the application of VR changes depending on the incidents that have happened the previous weekend. And that cannot be how you implement something like this. It's just insanity. Um, but there you go. It gives us something to talk about, I guess. Um, and the last real word on that came from Pete Trainer, which is it's gone for a bit of a conspiracy here. So he's saying it's definitely worth discussing the difference in use of VAR when it's BT or Sky versus Amazon, uh, almost non-existent during those mixed midweek fixtures that were televised on Amazon. And you're not going to convince me that Amazon haven't influenced that. I have to say, before that tweet, it wasn't something that I had considered. Um, and, I, and I don't really know how to answer it, really. I think, you know, we've talked an awful lot about VAR already. But, you know, do we feel, I suppose the art, the angle of that we can talk about is, you know, do the does the media coverage actually influence how decisions are taken in terms of VAR and refereeing? And you can probably tell by my previous rant, I do think that, that is the case. I do think that the the reviews of matches, the con, the comment on TV and in in papers and on websites and all that kind of stuff, I think that genuinely does influence how the games are officiated. And and to me, that's wrong. Um, any further comment on that? Yeah, I mean, it's hard to go on the amount of evidence you're talking about. Amazon Prime being there for uh, precisely one week so far, so we'll have to see a bit more. Um, 
but this is you know this is not a subject that is exclusive to this podcast or any palace podcast um it's front and center of every single discussion on football um and i think perhaps we wouldn't be talking about it if there was actually been some action in the game uh, and there wasn't any so uh, there wasn't a lot else to discuss but it, VAR and the referee, really. Damn right, but we've managed to do 35 minutes without really talking about the game, other than a couple of little incidents, and I think that is a victory for VAR and terrible officials everywhere. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Uh, but let's um, let's delve into the match itself, I guess, and we'll start, you know, looking at the the lineup that Roy picked. Uh, obviously, Gary Cahill was fit to come back into the centre of defence, uh, replacing Mama Sacco after his red card against Bournemouth. Um, Jeffrey Schlupp went in for Patrick Van Arnholt, who was obviously injured in that game. Um, rest of it was exactly as it was, um, with Benteke and Wickham both on the bench, along with Camarasa. Uh, with Max Mayer unwell this week and unable to take a place on the bench. So I suppose this to me is the major talking point um, and it came from Roy Hodgson's post-match comments. Um, I'm really interested in your views on this, gents. So I'm going to start with massive praise for for Roy Hodgson and the, the whole staff and squad. Three clean sheets in a row, incredibly difficult to achieve in the Premier League. It's been achieved with injuries left, right and centre at the back. It's been achieved with a really quick run of games, very little time to recover. Uh, we've managed to get seven points out of nine in the last three games, which is superb. Again, every point in the Premier League is a real tough thing to get. But <laughs> this is where there's this little thing that he said when he, said, he talked about the fact straight away that this was a fatigued team and how that was a massive factor in the performance. And I would 100% agree with that. It's a, it's, it was in my mind from almost the first minute watching the team, you know, not an awful lot of uh, closing down, trying to conserve energy and, and sort of hit Watford at appropriate moments. And that was exactly the right thing to do with the team that he picked. So the question really really is, could he have used his squad better to alleviate that situation? Um, and, I'll, and I'll give you my views on that initially. And I think the answer is yes, with the sort of understanding that it doesn't necessarily mean that it would have been a better result if he did. Um, I have to acknowledge that part. So I look at it and I say, you know, pick and Andros Townsend, other than the injured uh, Schlupper, who was obviously taken off at half time, um, the first change late on in the game was to bring Andros Townsend off and put Benteke on. Well, Townsend probably had played 
fewer minutes than, than anybody else on the pitch of late. So it seemed a little odd for that to be the first sub, um, although I understood it tactically. Um, again, and McCarthy came on very late for Coyote, who looked pretty much dead on his feet for most of the game. Um, and obviously, Ayu and stayed on the pitch for, for 90, although he just looks knackered from minute one and continues to play at a breakneck speed. So I'm not really sure what to say about him. But he's got a bench there, so he's got, other than the players that he used, you know, I mean, McCarthy came on late. He has Camarasa there to use. Um, and obviously, he had Connor Wickham there to use. I don't think Dan coming on would have made a difference. I think that was the right call. But, you know, that midfield, he could have started McCarthy and given one of the others a break. He chose not to do that. And for me, that's the first thing that I would question. Um, and the second thing I would question is not making a, a change a little bit earlier on. And maybe, you know, dare I say it, giving Camarasa a few minutes, just at the end there where we were starting to push a little bit. Um, I, I thought it was a bit of a shame he didn't use the squad better, considering his his point about the team being fatigued. You're quite right to, to make the midfield the main point of that discussion. Um, Andros said himself before, you know, he, he's, he tends to keep himself very fit. Uh, he's happily play every game going, you know, he's, he's played 50 games in a season. So um, I don't think he would necessarily be the player that uh, he'd referring to when he talks about fatigue, unless, you know, he's still not anywhere near 100% fit. Um, Defence, you know, he, he mentions he was worried since the start of the season about the left and the right back being injured um, and not having a lot of choice there. But midfield, he he has plenty of choice. Um, and so we sort of go back to the, the classic Hodgson discussion that we've had over the last two years or so. Um, why does he insist on playing the same players when he has other options? Um, it's not like we have a gruelling schedule compared to some other teams. Uh, you know, Wolves are getting by, doing pretty well in the Europa League, whilst also getting the results in the Premier League. And the teams at the top, you know, obviously they have much bigger squads than we do, but they get by fine. Um, you know, we went out of the, the League Cup in the, in the first possible opportunity. So he's got options. Um, he could have tested them out by now. So you can only assume Camarasa's days are numbered now. He's only got a few left. Um, and he's decided not to bother with him for for that reason. Um, but again, I'm not sure whether that would have made a difference. I, I, I can't see um, that it ever looked like there was going to be too too much in the way of goals. That that game, like it wasn't just the last on match of the day standard. It was it should have been about three games after the last game on match of the day, about half an hour <laughs> later. So, you know, it, it could have gone on for until now, and it still would have been nil nil. No, absolutely right. No, it was very noticeable looking at the the average positions of the team. Um, very, very different to sort of Bournemouth and um, and, and Burnley. Obviously, Bournemouth is a bit of an aberration because we had ten for most of the match, but really, very, very noticeable that Andros was was very much deeper than than Zaha on the other flank. Um, Jordan Ayew had to do an awful lot of uh, of dropping back into midfield. It really was a, a, a quite a reserved display. Um, Again, trying to conserve that energy, um, the fullbacks were were both quite deep as well. So, and that, you know, again, it was just reflected in the performance itself, where we looked pretty solid. It looked very difficult for Watford to break us down, but we just didn't seem to have that energy, that verve, that little bit extra to to, to sort of go on the attack on a regular basis. 
I think we, I've come to terms with the fact that Roy has got a group of players that he trusts and relies on, and we talk about a lot on this on our pod that actually he has his favorite. He has his favorites. I don't. That's a bad thing. I think McCarthy is definitely one of those. So it was a surprise to see him not brought in. But I think Mike's right. I think that was always going. I think that was always going to be a draw that game, regardless of who he plays. But I don't think we're ever going to see the level of rotation you see at other clubs or the, or the, or the use of subs you see at other clubs. I just think it's a thing about Roy, and I think I've come to terms with it. But still, a point was a great result on, on the day. Absolutely right. And there are always pros and cons to every approach. We've seen over the last few weeks that very much the pros in terms of Roy's approach. Um, and you can totally understand him wanting to keep that group that's playing so well on the pitch together. Um, and if you think about the last two matches, they've excelled when when attacking. They've actually put pressure on the opposition to to relieve pressure on our defence. And you know, again, if we're just talking about fatigue being the factor that stopped that, and and you know, he obviously doesn't have that same trust in the other options available available to him, just especially in that midfield. Um, then you can't really have a go at him for doing that, I guess, even though I have <laughs> most weeks this season. But again, like you say, perhaps I'm coming to terms with it a bit here. I think it absolutely is the you know the methodology of Roy is to select the same players consistently, and I was listening to what you were saying, Chris, and just thinking you know surely there must have been some other options. And I thought, well, I'll just have a quick look at the twenty-five man squad, and actually there really isn't. Once you take account of the injuries and the people who are out on loan, and the fact that you've got a couple of youth players like Sam Woods who you know are clearly on the fringes there's really not anyone who you know we I mean there's three goalkeepers in the squad for a start um looking lower down I'm just I mean most of the defenders are either, are either injured or played um in this game with the midfield the only ones who didn't were um Camarasa and McCarthy we've already talked about McCarthy at length and I think probably we all agree that he should have started this game if if Kuyata was as knackered as it seemed he was um and Reedwell came on and did a good job in this case Camarasa is clearly not flavor of the month other than that again of the people who didn't start the game actually you've then got Sorloth who's out on loan you've got Benteco who did come on and Wickham so, you know, Roy really doesn't have that depth of squad. I'm quite surprised at the lack of depth. And I think clearly we need to sign some people, frankly. That's that's the takeaway from this. Well, yeah, it's, look, I get where, you, where you're coming from. And that's I think it's dangerous to get into that mindset, though. And it's something that I've challenged throughout the course of this season and continue to do so because... You know, it's very easy to say, well, he doesn't, you know, he can't, you know, he doesn't trust Camarasa, so he can't use him. He can use him. Um, and there's plenty of other clubs where in the event of an injury crisis or even, you know, a couple of injuries here and there in similar positions that, you know, a a youngster will get chucked on the bench just in case or, you know, maybe given five, ten minutes at the end of the game. Now, I'm not saying 100%. Let's, let's take an example, someone like Nia Kirby, you can play central. You know, if you're not going to use Camarasa, maybe you'll, maybe you'll use him. I don't know. But, you know, I'm not saying that he would he would come on for ten minutes, impact the game, and, and make a huge difference, and we'd go away with three points here. I'm not saying that, but I think where people, myself included, do get a little bit, you know, frustrated is that we never we never try that. It's very much a risk free, and you know, we're, we're we're talking about it as a negative. It's not. I don't really see it as a negative at the moment. We're we're performing very very well. The actual standard of football has has gone up other than this particular game. Um, I think we're enjoying things a bit more than we were. There doesn't seem to be any need to sort of 
to labour this point too much, but I think we, we are just seeing that we played the bottom side. And whatever you think about the circumstances of them changing manager and having the new manager in the you know at the sidelines, the players obviously were going to be up for it from minute one. But there was a I still feel that there was an opportunity there to just do something a little different. But of course, Roy knows better than anyone that doing something a little different is it's all risk versus reward. And the the risk might be higher than the reward at the end of it. And he doesn't take those chances. That's why we we picked up a point. Um, and arguably it could have been zero as much as it could have been three. So I think we'll probably leave that there. But I think good good debate. And I think it's it's something that we'll undoubtedly return to. Now, Chris, you mentioned Reid Avald coming on for, for Schlupp at half time. I've seen some wildly different views on how he did. Um, how did it seem to you uh, on, at the game? Well, obviously I, I was mystified and gutted um, to see um, King Jeff come off. Um, but on a serious note, I mean... I, I thought he was fine. I mean, not it's not a remarkable performance by any means, but he he was solid. He didn't look like he was going to make a mistake. He didn't. He looked confident. I think maybe you know it reflects the point that exactly what you were just saying actually about playing you know young players, and I think Reidwell kind of is that equivalent for Roy of someone who he's been reluctant to use in the past, um, and. You know, his passing looked solid. He he didn't make any obvious mistakes, in my view. I, I was quite happy with his performance. I'd still like to see him get some more game time, um, preferably in a game that didn't count too much, uh, maybe in the late stages, and see if he can build to actually being a regular performer for us because he'd give us some extra energy that you know you you can't maintain that that level of performance if with players of the age we've got and. Um, playing the number of minutes that they do people players like MacArthur who looks knackered all I mean MacArthur sorry MacArthur looks knackered all the time and I know that's the way he runs but even so he he does perform like a beast and we, we need to provide some cover for him so that he can rest occasionally I wanted Riedeveld involved for a long time um, and when he came on I was a surprised but B I kept a very close eye on him because I really want him to do well um, and I was very excited when we signed him and, and been very frustrated for him. I'm sure he's earned a load of money while he's been waiting on the bench, but still. Um, Chris is right, he, he didn't really do much wrong, but at the same time, his positioning was, at, at times, was poor, um, and he let some balls go. Um, you know, there's, a, there's one particular point where he really, really should have gone up for a ball and he didn't. Um, and those are the kind of things that are just not going to, get Hodgson on your side. Um, you know, he's not going to get much of a chance to impress him. And I'd be surprised if, if if Hodgson was impressed because those are the kind of things that he would just spot straight away and he would not be happy with. It was made on a point on Twitter that he's actually only 23 still. So I think people are saying for Roy, he is a youth player and he's still got a lot of development to go. And he seemed pretty flattering about him on, on the... Post-match review, so, so perhaps there is maybe a future for him in the next few games with Jeff potentially being out and Van Arnholt. But I think Mike's right. If, if there was an offer made for him in the transfer market that he would accept, and we we would definitely accept, and I think he'd be off. Yeah, maybe. Although he did talk after the game about being happy at Palace and, and enjoying the fact he's got more of an opportunity of late to be in and around the match squad, and, and particularly obviously getting a few minutes in this game which I thought was was interesting to hear. Um, and I also thought that, um, you know, playing left back, he has, which he has done in the past, 
but just not really at the Premier League. So, and it's a lot faster. And I think the thing that stuck out for me is that whilst he's a, a really strong player technically, and you can see how calm he is when he has the ball. Um, and I actually really like that. I think that's a real positive, but it, it also kind of it highlights that, you know, accentuates the negative part of his game, which is that he's a bit slow paced. He's a bit, you know, you don't tend to see him sprint. Um, he tends to kind of glide around the pitch a little bit. And whilst that's great because he's confident on the ball, he doesn't doesn't feel rushed. And he tries to take decisions at the appropriate time. Unfortunately, it also means that, you know, when you've got a player, I mean, you know, like Ishmael Saar, who was running up against him for quite a lot of that, who is running at full pelt, it really does expose him. And, and you know, he's he's not, as Mike has picked up and Chris has picked up, he wasn't appropriately positioned to play at that pace against that that opponent. So, Definitely, um, uh, an area of weakness is is how how much he moves about and, and how quickly he moves about. But there's obviously roles within the team where that would be less of an issue. And he, I say, there's there's something there definitely in terms of a player. Whether we'll, we'll see it at, at our club, I'm not so sure. There was a couple of comments in from Twitter um, about the situation with Riedevel coming on and Schlott being injured. Uh, Mr. Cadbury's parrot um, is obviously a fixture of. Many a Palace pod. I was surprised to see Gyro come out and say how happy he is at the club. That seems odd with his lack of games. He's only 23. Maybe we're going to see more of him. What do you think? Well, I think the answer to what we just said there is we have absolutely no idea. Probably no more than you. So probably no help to you there, Mr. Parrott. Um, And Charles Meyer, I hope Schlupp will be back immediately, but it's great to see Gyro get a shot. He looked very good passing the ball out of the back and seemed very composed. So exactly the same as... That's what Hambo said. He also looked pretty fit to me. What are your thoughts on him? Um, I mean, I'm sure he's kept himself fit, um, and he's he's definitely um, he's he's gone down the the Joshua route of uh, thinning down a little bit and getting muscly. Um, but again, I, I just don't think that's something Hodgson really gives a toss about. So um, it'd be interesting. It, it, you know, you're absolutely right in that he he can play left back, and there might not be any choice but to play him. So. Well, that's exactly right. It's spot on the last point I was going to make, which is, you know, PVA is probably unlikely to be back for the Brighton game um, if if that is a hamstring injury. And it does seem that the scan showed up an injury, um, although how bad, I don't know. Um, but similarly, I don't know what the issue is with, with Jeffrey Schlupp. I haven't seen anything about that. There, there might have been something out there. Apologies if I missed it. But, you know, if he's not fit to play against Brighton, then Gyro's going to play there and... Well, it's an opportunity for him as much as it might be a concern for for us. Um, I really just hope he takes that opportunity with both hands because, like I say, I think there's a good player in there somewhere. Um, if he could just sort of wind that, that energy up a little bit, I think um, there's a chance that he might win Rory Round and, and get a few more games. Anyway, so thanks for those comments. Um, lastly, to really talk about in terms of the match itself, we did create only two real chances of note there was another another shot we created it was just blocked but the two major chances that we have so first half uh fell to james MacArthur at the sort of far side of the box following a ball in um honestly has to do better a bit there but you know perhaps those tired legs were a, were a factor because didn't quite get his foot up high enough to get over the ball and sort of side footed it quite badly wide from a, from a very good position Obviously, that goes in, and we're we're probably close to victory after that because the game might well open up with with Watford having to get forward. We'd probably pick them off with another one. I would have said because their quality is pretty low. 
Um, but it, it didn't go in. And um, similarly, in the second half, there was a, a fantastic piece of skill by Ayu on the right-hand side of the box. And it's just the shot at the end was a little bit wild. And I think he had his hand, head in his hands for about 15 minutes. He was that disappointed. So he obviously saw it as a, as a really big chance. Jesus, it's Christ. If, if those are the comment, uh, those are the chances that we have to chat about on the pod. I mean, that just speaks volumes, doesn't it? 30 quid it cost to go and watch that game. 30 quid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that really genuinely was it uh, in terms of us going forward. And you know, again, look at the statistics. Watford, although didn't really seem that dangerous, um, created you know far more than we did. Um, but there we go. Um, I think probably the last thing of note was a fantastic save at the death by Bethente Guaita once more. Um, just so alive, right at the right at the last minute. Not had a huge amount to actually do, and then. To, to, to pull that one out it was Spironi-esque as well that sort of getting down low and, and knocking the ball away just absolutely love to see it and it you know the two great men were pictured this week um, the picture went around Twitter of uh, of Jules and and Vicente Guaita together which was a uh, fitting I just want to comment on your brilliant use and and pronunciation to say Vicente the way you did I'm currently learning Italian and I tell you what you'd walk into a Spanish lesson like that uh, Cambo that was excellent I I have practiced, mate. I you know, I, and I keep I have to stop myself saying Vicente because it it's beer, isn't it? You know, there was a video when he when he signed that uh, that the club put out where they sort of phonetically spelled it out and it was Vicente Guaita. Quality. But I will un, I will undoubtedly say it differently almost every time I say it, but um, hopefully we we all learn how to say it properly because he deserves it. He's he's fast becoming a legend at Palace. Um, so let's talk um, as much as it was a terrible match can we possibly select a man of the match who do we think was best and I'm going to put you under pressure immediately Cy uh, back at you just to try and surprise you who was your man of the match Gary Cahill I thought some of those challenges towards the end were excellent he is just so calm cool and collective and what he lacks in pace he makes up for in sort of positional sense and, and calm I thought he was excellent well, there we go Mike it is hard to argue with that and and Another clean sheet, three in a row. Um, you know, you probably would have to give it to the defenders. Um, I thought Zaha did it, did his best um, in difficult circumstances. Um, and are you running socks off? Uh, but I don't think they quite connected. Uh, I'd have given it to one of those two. But having heard Sai just say that, you can't really argue with KL, can you? Absolutely not. Or can you, Chris? Who did you think? Well, I'd have gone for Cahill or Guaita. I've now got that correct in terms of pronunciation. I've been saying Guaita for several months, so thanks for the lesson there. Um, I thought Guaita had a great game, um, and I mean that's pretty damning in itself, considering you know where Watford are in the league and how they've been doing. Um, clearly, the rest of the team um, did a good job. Um, you know, didn't concede any goals, which is great, um, but also created nothing, and that was pretty thin gruel and a depressing watch and like Mike I do slightly resent having spent 30 quid and travelled um, the long journey that we did including the bitter walk um, through Watford itself which you know, no one should have to go through ever No, no you feel like you have to have done something wrong to be made to do that don't you and um, you know, maybe you can point to an event in your recent history that means you did deserve that, who knows um, but I'm, I'm not going to speculate any further than that. Um, I think Cahill was probably the right choice. Um, I thought Kelly did quite well as well. 
Um, Mike's mentioned Wilf. I thought he he battled tremendously in the face of a tremendous amount of adversity. Um, I think, again, midfield's a little bit lacklustre. Not too bad in possession, but generally speaking, didn't really impact uh, the game like you'd kind of want them to. Um, and probably, yeah, just a, a word for IU and how hard he worked again. And, you know, guy must be knackered um, with the amount of work that he's put in over the last few weeks in particular. But, uh, yeah, not, not one, no one really sort of screaming out um, in terms of their putting in a magnificent performance. But a point is a point. Um, it's obviously as I say, very, very difficult to pick up points. If you look at where we are now, I think someone put a comparison up um, either in our chat. I think it was in our chat. Patrick was putting it up. We were, um, was it 10 points less we had this time last season? I think it was. Yeah, anyway. 12, 12 points after 16 games last season. So there you um, go. But you... What, what I would say is that most of the other sides have got more points than they did last season. There was a, there was a hovering up effect last season from the top sides. That's not happened this season, so it's a bit it's a bit more complicated than that. I think. No, that's a really good point, and that is a little bit of a you know a warning sign in dropping too many points in, in good situations. Yes, you know you can. I think Roy very much looks at the averaging over a point a game. Um, he mentioned it after the Bournemouth game, saying. You know, whatever happens in the next four games, we'll we'll have we'll have over twenty points at Christmas, which he he'll be delighted with. Um, and understandably, I, I get that, but perhaps the uh, at the very least, you think the the third side to get, you know, the third bottom side may end up with quite a high number of points this year. And obviously, you don't want that to be us. Doesn't feel like we're in danger of that at the moment, but it is very very tight when you look at that table. Okay, so just before we end, last little bit of listener contact. Mark Drew got in touch, um, but he's, he's pointing out again that we are desperate um, but, um, because we all know that there's a huge need to get a striker in. Still linked to with various um, people in the press and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, I was, I was looking at a few conversations on Twitter. I think people really are settling on the fact that at the very least in January, if we could get you know, we need a we need a full back each side. You know, right back and a left back, and we definitely need a, a forward in. Um, you know, let's let's see how that goes. That would probably put us in fairly good stead to to kick on a little bit. Um, the latest striker linked Fabio Barini um, on loan from AC Milan, and he's a name that does keep cropping up every window without fail. So um, I think he's probably one on the list. Let's let's you know suggest that's the case and unless it's an agent potentially working us but um did did okay was i think did he start didn't start at liverpool i think and then um played for sunderland as well as well as a couple of others but um has premier league experience decent enough player but whether or not he's that exciting forward who's going to lead the line and do all the things that he needs to do in, in this particular side not so sure myself um Anyway, I think we'll probably leave that one there. We've done an hour somehow. No idea how we did that. Um, hope you enjoyed it. Obviously, check out the Love Sports Show. Uh, that's Tuesday. Um, is it nine, eight or nine? I've got confused. Yeah, Tuesday, eight till nine p.m. And obviously, a podcast will be out shortly afterwards. And then, Mike, you're doing the preview again this week. Uh, I think Terence is back. I might be wrong. Oh well, I mean, he did a cracking job uh, last time out. So, but. You know, if he's if he's happy and his um, work on his house is is complete, then uh, be good to welcome him back as well, I guess. But do check that one out. It should be out, I guess, probably Thursday evening, with any luck. And uh, of course, we'll speak to you. Well, obviously, the show review show will be coming after the Brighton game. 
Um, don't know exactly when we'll be doing that. Obviously, we'll all be there on the Monday night. So going to be a tricky one to fit that in, but we'll figure it out and we'll speak to you then. Thank you very much. Cheers. Bye. the 90th minute all your mates around you've got your mcnugget share boxes ready to go your mates already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget snatching all three points perfect order mcdelivery now on the mcdonald's app you in at participating restaurants 18 plus serving times delivery fee and terms apply see mcdonald's.com And there it is, that's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely, and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.